good morning. It's great to see you here. Thank you for taking part in our weekend. And if you're a guest, we want to give you a special welcome. So thrilled that you're here as we continue in this series, Breaking Out. And I have to tell you, as we've seen in this series, there are a ton of things that keep us just like a prison from experiencing all that Jesus came to give us, freedom and fullness. And the prison's the perfect metaphor for that. But it's more a picture of what we're experiencing on the inside than the outside. Because as many in the scriptures show us, you can be absolutely imprisoned externally, but free on the inside, or you can be absolutely free on the outside and imprisoned on the inside, which is where so many of us find ourselves to be. And doubt is one of those things that keeps us imprisoned, that holds us captive, keeps us from becoming. In fact, you need to know that doubt puts a ton of us in an unnecessary prison, a prison that it doesn't have to put us in. Though doubt is going to be a reality in our lives, doubt doesn't have to keep us from experiencing the lives that God designed and desires for us. And here's how it works. Many of us have, have bought into the lie that if you're going to have faith, it demands the absence of all doubt. I mean, people really believe this. In fact, many in religion teach it. It's wrong. You can have faith and doubt at the same time, but when you start believing the lie that to have faith in Jesus, to experience the promises of God in our lives, demands the absence of doubt. It puts you in a prison because you'll never get rid of all doubt. You can make doubt subservient to your faith, but you can't rid yourself of doubt. It's a companion of faith. But when we buy into this idea, it puts us in prison because we start thinking that, wow, my doubt is wrong. My doubt makes me abnormal. It doesn't make me like other people. I'm, I'm out of the mainstream if I doubt. And it, it starts being something we believe offends God, separates us from God. We think that those who are faithful in following Jesus don't have doubt. And so we believe no matter how much we're trying to follow him, we aren't following him well because we have doubt. But that, it's just not true. Doubt is a very normal part of the spiritual journey. Let me say it again. Doubt is a very normal part of the spiritual journey. You can experience God in his fullness. You can experience life as he designed it for you and still have doubt. Don't let it put you in a prison. The truth is, doubt has been a constant companion of mine in my spiritual journey. And I'm not talking about just in the early years. I'm talking about now. Doubt is still a companion. And you're going to see this weekend that it was the companion of many of the great followers of Jesus all throughout time. It can be your companion and you can still be a great follower of Jesus, experiencing all that God has for you. I have to tell you, there are times in my journey when I doubt his presence just doesn't feel like he's there, even though I believe he is. There's doubt. It, there are times that I doubt his promises. You know, he makes some great promises, right? This is a great one. All things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to this purpose. All things work together for good. Isn't that a great promise? It just doesn't feel true a lot of the times. Sometimes it feels like all things are working together for bad, and it's getting even worse. And so it can put me in a prison if I start letting doubt keep me from still trusting. There, there are times that I doubt that he really does forgive me. I mean, I, 
How can he forgive me if I can't forgive myself? How can he see me apart from my failures if I can't see myself apart from my failures? It just, even though he says it and I, I believe it, I, I have doubts about it. And, you know, I, I have doubts about a lot of other things. I, I have doubts about the biblical truth that all people are valuable and all people matter. I mean, God says it, all people matter. That means you matter. But I'm going to tell you, there are times I doubt it. Like when you pull in front of me going 15 miles an hour in a 70-mile-hour zone, I know you don't matter at that particular time, right? It's like, I mean, there are just times when, when we doubt these truths, but the doubts are a normal part of our spiritual journey. The key is we just can't let doubt control our trust. We have to let our trust control our doubts. It's a big deal because what many are doing is many are letting doubt keep them from trusting the only one that can help them. They're letting doubt keep them from trusting the only one that can forgive them. They're letting doubt keep them from the only one who can give them fullness in life, and that's Jesus himself. They're allowing doubt to become a prison when the only reason Jesus really came was to unlock the prison doors and to set us free. Here's the truth. It's the the final prison cell that we're looking at in this Breaking Out series. This is the final talk, and it's about doubt. And here's the truth that I want you to see. You can have genuine faith and still experience doubt. You can have genuine faith and still experience doubt. And I'm not making this up. I mean, all you have to do is open the Bible and see it. There was this dad who had a son that was really messed up, suffering a great deal, and and people made promises about helping the son, but no one delivered on their promises. And so the dad became kind of a, a bit of a skeptic, obviously. And, but he saw Jesus seem to be very different from other people. And so he came to Jesus and he said, would you heal my son? And Jesus says, well, do you believe? And look at the guy's answer. It's so, it's so perfect. Mark nine twenty four. The father instantly, instantly replied, I do believe, but you're going to help me not to doubt, Right? Do you know how honest that is? I I, I believe, well, if you don't count all that doubt I've got. And Jesus said, all you need is a a mustard seed size of faith, and you can move mountains. Well, if all you have is a mustard seed side of faith, what is it that's encircling that mustard seed? Doubt. And this guy said, I've got that mustard seed of faith. I mean, you're going to have to help me with my doubt. And Jesus healed his son. And then in Luke 17, 5, the apostles who were the first followers of Christ gave up significant stuff in life to follow him and to share his story with the world. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. If they're asking Jesus to increase their faith, what are they saying about their faith? It's small. You can have genuine faith and still experience doubt. C.S. Lewis was a prolific writer, a great philosopher, and he, he kind of started his adult life as an atheist, totally rejecting the concept of God. But then he ultimately, because the only rational thing when you're really looking at the facts is to conclude, wow, it's more probable that there is a God that there, than there isn't, and it's more probable that Jesus is who he said he was than he isn't. And so he came to become a committed faith follower of Jesus Christ. Look what he said. He said, now that I am a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. 
What's he saying? When I was an atheist, it took faith to be an atheist, and I had doubts about it. Now that I'm a Christ follower, hey, it takes faith to be a Christ follower, and I have doubts about it. You can have genuine faith and still experience doubt. It doesn't have to become a prison for you. I believe many of us are refusing to trust Jesus because we have some doubt. Don't let that happen because no one has ever followed Jesus with no doubt whatsoever, no thinking person. Many of us aren't experiencing God's promises, aren't even claiming him, aren't spending time building a relationship with him because doubt is part of our lives. Doubt can't stop you from trusting him unless you let it. And this has been my deal since doubt's been a constant companion of mine. I've had to learn some things about doubt and I've had to deal with it because so many people say doubt's wrong, doubt's bad, doubt's evil. No, doubt's normal. It's just you can't let it rule your life. And so here are some things I want to share with you that have been important to me about doubt. The first is this. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt's not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is unbelief. The, The intentional choice not to believe. And the people who make intentional choices not to believe are rejecting Jesus. That's the opposite of faith. But people who have doubts aren't rejecting him. They just have questions about them. They're just agonizing over those questions. And here's what I believe. We tend to agonize over our doubt because we really want to believe that's a good thing, not a bad thing. In fact, in my life, I have found the more important a belief is, the more doubt that comes along with it. Because I'm staking everything on that. A little bit of doubt magnifies itself in my life, and so this is how it is. But doubt is a sign for me that believing is important to me, and it can be to you as well. You can have a strong faith and still have doubts in your life. The book of Psalms is a great example. Read the book of Psalms. These guys are just, where are you? What's going on? We're going to see that later in this talk. I mean, it's all doubt, but then they say, you know, I've got all this doubt. It's like you're not even showing up, but I'm going to trust you anyway. I mean, see, you can still trust even in the midst of doubt. And when you realize that, what you do is you tear down the prisons that keep us from experiencing God. Another thing that's been important for me to learn about doubt is that doubt messes with even the strongest believers. I used to look at strong believers, people who are committed and mature believers, and I used to think, man, I wish I was like them. They'd have no doubts. But the truth is, the stronger of a believer I've become, the bigger my issues of doubt have become but it hasn't stopped me from becoming a committed believer it's just a companion I've had to deal with and this is a biblical thing this is this is truth don't believe the person who says I'm so strong in my faith I have no doubts I I just I'm sorry you're not thinking you're just not Because if you just think a little bit, you'll realize that faith is the evidence of things not seen. And any time you're believing in something that's not seen, doubt is ever-present. You don't have to let doubt control you, but you have to admit that doubt's real. Let me just give you John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a great man of faith. Great man of faith. Uh, Look what he said in John 1.34. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Could you make a stronger declaration of faith? This is the one that's been promised. This is the Messiah. He's the one that's going to forgive us of our sins. He's the Lamb of God that represents all the sacrifices made in the Old Testament. He is the Son of God, period. Whoa. Look what he said in Luke chapter 7, verse 20. He'd been thrown in prison. He was suffering. And he starts going, wow, the Son of God's on the planet. He's bringing his kingdom. And I'm declaring his truth. And I'm in prison. Look what happens. 
When the men came to Jesus, Luke 7, 20, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to ask you, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Are you kidding me? The only reason I'm following Jesus is because you stood up and this is the Son of God. I testified, I've seen it, I know it to be true. And now you're going, are you the Son of God? He was a strong believer, a strong man of faith, and yet doubt messed with him. It messes with all of us, but it doesn't have to put us in prison. And and something else, I used to feel small as a believer because of my doubts. I'd listen to people kind of paint perceptions of having no doubt and being so strong in the faith, and I knew my doubts, and I was honest about them, and it was like, oh my gosh, If they think so little of me, if I have doubts, what does God think of me? Well, let me show you. God does not denounce or diminish you because of your doubts. He doesn't. Because immediately after John the Baptist declared his doubt, look what Jesus said about him in Luke 7, 22. So he, Jesus, replied, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. In the midst of his greatest season of doubt, Jesus affirmed his greatness of faith. And you know, he stood up to it. He could have compromised the truth. He could have rejected the truth. He could have gone back on the truth that had him in prison, but he didn't. He stood so strong on the truth in spite of his doubts that he ultimately lost his head, and I'm not kidding, he died for the truth. His doubt didn't keep him from believing, but his doubt was real. It messes with the strongest of believers, but God doesn't diminish us or denounce us for it. But you do need to know that doubt can play two ways in our lives. Doubt can lead us to a stronger faith if we respond properly to it. It really can. Because when when we pray, increase our faith, when we say, I believe, but you're going to have to help me with my doubts, what we're doing is we're responding in such a way where the doubt itself can lead to an increasing of our faith. That happened to Peter, one of the early followers of Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 14, verses 29 through 31, just a small story in his life. Peter got down out of the boat. They were out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Jesus had walked up in the middle of the storm, and and Peter jumps out and walks with him, right? But when he saw the wind, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Didn't denounce or diminish him, but expressed disappointment. Come on, you were walking on water, dude. I mean, what are you sinking for? You were walking on water. But what happened with Peter is very like us. He, he started experiencing something beyond his capabilities. He was trusting in Jesus to do something he could, and then he realized, wait a minute, I wasn't made to walk on water. Oh my gosh, that lightning bolt could strike me in the head. I'm not supposed to be out here in the middle of the water. And he started to sink. But here's how he responded. Though he was starting to doubt, who did he reach out to? Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. I can't walk on water, but you can. And Jesus saved him and then said, man, you shouldn't doubt so much. And Peter's faith was strengthened as a result of it. He turned the right way. Some of us aren't reaching out to Jesus because we have doubts. In his greatest doubt, he was still reaching out to Jesus. The only reason Peter didn't drown was because he didn't allow doubt to keep him from trusting. He trusted anyway. But if we don't respond properly to doubt, 
it can become a destructive force in our lives. It becomes a destructive force when we don't respond properly. Look at Matthew 26, verse 75. The same guy, Peter. This time, Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. You're going to disown me three times. You're going to reject me three times. And when Jesus, he remembered Jesus' words, and he remembered that he had denied him, he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter had stood up to Jesus and said, I'm not going to deny you. These other weaklings might, but I love you too much. I'll go to death for you. I'll go to prison for you. There's no way I'll deny you. And then all of a sudden, he denies him three times. What led him to deny Jesus? Well, Jesus was being tried for his life. Jesus was being tried to be put on a cross to be killed. And anyone who would follow Jesus was going to be persecuted in the same way. And all of a sudden, Peter starts doubting. Maybe he's not the king. Maybe he's not the son of God. Maybe he's not the savior of the world. Maybe he's not the one I thought he would be. And and so he started denying Jesus, and it became one of the most bitter failures of his life. His failure wasn't final, but it haunted him. But what led him to his failure? Doubt. But this time, instead of reaching out to Jesus and staying true, he actually disowned Jesus and rejected him, and it became a destructive force in his life. And I believe this is where many of us are. We are allowing doubt to become a destructive force that ruins us, keeps us from experiencing freedom and fullness in life because we are allowing it to keep us from reaching out to him. So we've got to fix that, or we're going to stay in prison. Here's the application. If we're going to break out, and if we're going to claim and experience the freedom and fullness that Jesus came to give us, we have to respond properly to doubt, like Peter when he was sinking in the water, instead of like Peter when he denied Jesus three times. We have to learn to respond properly to doubt. But I'm going to tell you, our natural response to doubt is the wrong one. And I believe many of us here are are literally not putting faith in Christ, not following Christ, not experiencing God, not living up to our potential that God gave us because we're responding so poorly to doubt. We have to learn to respond properly to doubt. And I found some principles that have helped me to do that. Maybe they'll help you. The first is this. In order to respond properly when doubt comes, I have to identify the root cause of my doubt. What is it that's making me doubt in this moment? What is it that's, that's germinating this this question in my life. And I found three areas. The first is intellectual. There are times when there are times when I just have questions because I can't understand or even fathom what God is saying, what God is doing. I can't fathom it. And it causes doubt. It's too far beyond me. It's too different from me. And so I start doubting. And some of us allow our intellectual doubts to keep us from trusting God when it only makes sense that we have intellectual doubts when it comes to God. Look what God himself said in Isaiah 55, 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, look it. You're going to have some intellectual problems with me. Because as high as the universe is in relation to the smallness of planet Earth, so that is how my thoughts differ from yours. If you compare your thinking to that of an ant, that is really close in comparison to your thinking in comparison to God. Have you ever tried to explain something to an ant? I see them all the time. I'm sitting there explaining them, and they scratch their head. Well, like this, with about six... They can't understand. It's stupid to think they could. It's a dumb illustration, I admit it. But ants are smarter to us than we are to God. If you didn't have intellectual 
problems and doubts when it came to considering the unbelievable awesomeness of God, there should be something wrong with you. Some of you are not trusting God because you don't yet understand all there is to understand about God. If you could understand all there was to understand about God, you would be his equal and he would not be worthy of trusting intellectual roots, and so I have to address those. Then there are emotional causes to my doubt. Emotional. You know, it's really difficult to trust when we're going through painful, hurtful experiences. This is where David in the Psalms provides a great application to us. In Psalm 13, and it's just one example of hundreds in the Psalms, but in Psalm 13, look what he says in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, let me read that like the agonizing, um, in an agonizing way like it should be. How long, O Lord? How long are you going to leave me here? How long are you going to forget me? How long are you going to reject me? How long are you going to hide your face from me? How long are you going to play hide and seek with me? How long... Are you going to fail to fulfill your promises in my life? How long are you going to allow my life to be in this mess, in this darkness? How long, how long, how long are you going to fail to be true to your promises? How long? What do you think David's expressing there? Doubt. You say you're there, you're not there. You say you, say you care, you don't care. But then look what he says in verse 5 of the very same psalm. <laughs> this is, it's schizophrenic. He needs medicine, and I'm being very serious. Look at, he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. What? You trust in God's unfailing love? You just questioned his loyalty. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your, hide your face from me? How long will you, will you prove you don't care about me? But I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. He's simply living a normal journey of faith. But here's where he's different. He didn't allow the doubts that come because of the emotional pain and difficulties of life to keep him from yet trusting God. He says, it seems like you've disappeared and it seems like you don't love me, but I'm going to trust that you love me because I'm going to not let my doubts override my trust because I don't want to live in prison. We need to do the same thing. The important thing to remember when the cause of your doubt is emotional when you identify it as being the hurt you're going through. The important thing to remember is the truths of Christianity aren't based on feeling. They're based upon the reality of God, that he exists, that he created. You know, I know that there are a couple of pure atheists in this world. I know it. But I want you to know I have never met an atheist who wasn't an atheist because they had experienced so much pain in their life it was easier to reject the concept of God than it was to embrace it in the world of hurt they live in. Most atheists are atheists because of the emotional pain. I get it. But what a prison that puts us in. And then there's one last one. Spiritual. A spiritual root cause. 1 Corinthians 2.14, look at the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. There are times when it's the intellectual issues that are causing me to doubt. There are times when it's the emotional junk that I'm going through that cause me doubt. But, but these days I've generally solved the intellectual doubt. That doesn't mean I've solved the intellectual questions. I've just 
solve the doubt associated with it. These days I've generally, at least in this season, kind of solved the emotional related doubt. I mean, I still experience it, but I realize the feeling doesn't match the reality, and so I kind of don't get lost in that. But the spiritual, that's usually the root cause that gets me the most time. Because, see, God says to understand his truth, it takes the Spirit of God. I have to be informed and guided by the Spirit of God or else I'll not be able to understand the truths of God. And the reality is there are times because of the choices I'm making, the way I'm living, where I'm grieving the Spirit of God and I don't have him informing and guiding and opening my eyes. I've kind of pushed him to the corners of my life and I believe that's where a lot of us are. And, and so I find often my doubts are motivated by the fact that, like Peter when he was denying Jesus, I'm just not letting the Spirit of God control my life. And some of you have never even experienced the Spirit of God because you've never trusted Christ in the first place. He can't take up residence in your life. And so if the Spirit's not in you, there's no way that you're ever going to overcome these doubts that come from this spiritual cause. And so I have to identify the cause and I have to deal with them appropriately. And, and when it comes to the spiritual, which was a big one for me, I realized that the next principle is I have to develop a strategy to diminish doubts. I, doubts are going to be my constant companion, but I have to develop a strategy for diminishing doubts so that I can be increasing my faith. And so I have to think this thing through. Okay, if I'm going to live as a man of faith, as a person of faith, still experiencing all God designed for me and, and desires for me, even though doubt's my companion, then what's going to be my strategy to keep doubt subservient to my faith? And I've given you a couple of verses, and I hope that you, you'll go further with this in your own thing. And I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll give you the verse, and then I'll kind of give you a way I look at it as a strategy. Look at James 4, 2. You do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. The first part of my strategy for diminishing doubts and increasing faith is I ask God for it. You know, faith comes from God. He's the only one that can give me faith to believe. The Bible even says that. So I asked God for it. In, in Luke 17, 5, I already read this verse to you. What did the apostles ask Jesus? Increase our faith. What were they doing? Asking him for it. When was the last time you said, God, I'm having a real difficult time believing this. My doubts are overriding my faith. Please increase my faith. Ask God for it. The second one, look at Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So hearing the message of God, hearing God's truth, being exposed to it, can increase my faith, which obviously then diminishes the control doubt has on me. So here's my strategy. I'm going to expose myself to God's truth in as many ways as I can. You need to expose yourself to God's truth in as many ways as you can because that can help diminish doubt and increase faith. And how do you do that? Well, you're doing it right now in a way. This is one way you... you, you Expose yourself to someone teaching God's word and you, you, you're hearing it and it can increase your faith, diminish your doubts and it goes beyond that. We're doing a thing where we're reading through the New Testament of the Bible in 40 days as a church, living the script, reading the word of God in a, in a way that's saturating your life is a great way to diminish doubts and increase your faith and, and grow in faith. You can read Christian books, be careful because Christian books can claim to be Christian but not be so Christian but those that are really teaching God's word can expose you to his truth and help you to grow your faith. You can be a part of Bible studies, whether they're a part of Northridge or not. You can be a part of groups that are connecting you more to God's Word. And, and we put our talks online so that you can listen to them over and over. And when you miss, you mean grow. Because exposing yourself to God's truth is a way to increase your faith and diminish. In fact, everything we do here is really about this. In, in May of this year, we're taking a trip to Israel. 
We're taking a group from here to Israel. And the reason is we found that when people walk where Jesus walked and experience the context of where he spoke his truth and, and we open the text of God's word and we share it and we teach in that thing, what happens is their doubts diminish and their faith increases. That's why we're going there. It's a big deal. And I mention it here because March 1, the whole thing closes down and we have just a couple of spaces left. And if you're interested, you can still be a part of this faith-building experience. But... Whatever you do, expose yourself to God's truth in as many ways as you can. There's another thing that helps me as a strategy. Look at Acts 17, verse 11. They received the message that Paul the Apostle was preaching with great eagerness. They were enthusiastic about Paul's message. But then look what they did. But they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. I love that passage. I love it. You know what it's saying? It's saying this. Be enthusiastic about hearing God's message taught, but don't be a sucker. And I'm being honest, because you know a lot of people are suckers. They just believe whatever's being said. Just so you know, I don't want you to take what I say hook, line, and sinker and build your life around that. I want you to hear what I say and then go to God's word and make sure what I'm saying is in God's word because you will grow more by checking up on me than you ever will be by just believing me. In fact, those who just accept what I say hook, line, and sinker when trouble comes, the only basis of your faith will be what I've said and I won't be there and your doubt will override your faith. But those of you who don't take what I say without examining scripture will make Scripture the foundation of your life, and when doubt comes, you know what you'll do? Your faith will override your doubt because it's in God and not some weak person like yourself. You need to be enthusiastic, but don't be a sucker because that way you can build your faith and diminish your doubts. If you're going to build your faith and diminish your doubts, look at 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you're doing. The way I diminish doubts and build my faith is by hanging with the right people. You know what I found? When I hang with people who are driven by doubt, I start becoming driven by doubt. But when I hang with people who are driven by faith, I start being driven by faith because bad company can corrupt good character. It doesn't matter who you are. Hang with the right people. John the Baptist started being ruled by his doubts because he was in isolation from people. Hang with the right people so you can grow your faith. And finally, look at if you would, Galatians 6, 9, let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We're going to reap a harvest if we don't give up. Here's my strategy for diminishing doubts and, and increasing my faith. I choose to be a spiritual marathon runner instead of a spiritual sprinter. Because here's what I found. When I'm only in for the short haul, I generally am out for the long haul. But when I'm in to faith for the long haul, I am able to ride the seasons of doubt and get through them and realize that God is to be trusted after all. This is what David did. God, it seems like you've forgotten me forever. It seems like you're not fulfilling your promises, but I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. And because he was a marathoner, you know what he did? He ultimately experienced the reality of God's presence in his life. I mean, these are ways that I try to diminish doubt and increase my faith. But there's one last principle. If I'm going to really respond properly to doubt, I have to make the choice to live according to my faith and not live according to my doubts. I need to, like David, in spite of how I feel and how big doubt is in my life, I need to commit to living by trusting in his unfailing love even when I'm doubting his unfailing love. 
I have to let faith inform my decisions, faith guide my steps, not doubt, and so do you. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What's that talking about? Faith. Lean not on your own understanding. What's that talking about? Man, when I'm left to my own understanding, I don't get it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. I have to live according to my faith, not my doubt, even though they're in constant relationship with one another. And if I'm going to do that, I have to realize some things about life. If you're going to do it, you're going to have to realize something about life. If you're not going to let doubt put you in a prison, if you're going to live free in spite of the fact that doubt is your constant companion, if you're going to live by faith, even in light of your doubt, then these are some things you need to know about life. There are some things in life that we just don't understand yet. And you should know this. You're in the auditorium. You're not in three-year-old kids' ministry. Were there some things when you were three years old that you didn't understand yet that now you do? There's some things we just don't understand yet. And you know what many of us do? Many of us allow the doubts that erupt in our life because of the things we don't understand yet to keep us from ever getting to understand those things. It's like the child who says, you know, I just don't, I don't get why I can't play in the road. I know dad and mom say don't play in the road, but I just don't get it. That kid, when he plays in the road and gets run over, doesn't get to experience the understanding of, you know what, maybe I shouldn't have played in the road. And you say, that's a horrible illustration. You're right. But it's exactly what we do every day when we dismiss what God says because we don't understand it yet. Well, I don't understand why that'd be wrong, and I don't understand why that wouldn't do. I wouldn't understand why that do. And so we go and play in the proverbial road, and we're getting run over daily by exactly what God said we'd get run over, all because we don't understand yet, and we're being controlled by our doubts instead of our trust. Look at what Jesus said in John 16. He said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. You're not ready yet, but you will be. You're not ready yet, but you will be. Just stay in the game. If I'm going to let faith guide me instead of my doubts, then I have to understand that there are those issues I will just never understand in this life. There are some things in life we just won't ever understand. And we've got to be okay with that. Look at how the Bible says it again in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now, on this side of death, when we're still in this physical life, we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. But then when we're in God's presence, we'll see face to face. Now we can only know in part. We're very finite in our understanding. But then we shall know fully, even as we're fully known. There are some things in this life we just won't ever understand. We won't ever understand them. But we can't allow the doubts associated with those things we'll never understand to keep us from trusting the one who will then provide us with the opportunity to one day understand to experience eternal life. I have to tell you, I'm not, I'm, with every ounce of my being, I'm trying not to let what I don't understand to keep me from trusting the one who does understand, right? Because one day, I want to be in his presence and understand. And so because of that, I'm keeping a list. I'm keeping a list of the things I just don't get. And I'm expecting some time with God to get some answers to these questions. I'm telling you right now. I don't get this. I don't get it. And he's going to say, you've always had a low IQ. I built you that way. I get that. 
But I'm not going to let what I'll never understand keep me from knowing the one who does understand. I don't want to be in that prison, and you shouldn't be either. And finally, there are some things in this life that we just have to accept by faith. We're going to move into a, into a season of worship. We haven't had worship yet. The weekend service is going to end with worship this weekend. But I, I just need you to know that there's nothing to worship if doubt's ruling our life. There's everything to worship if, if faith's ruling our life. There are some things we just have to accept by faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him has to believe that he exists and that he will reward those who earnestly seek him. I mean, faith is the only way to experience God's pleasure, to experience life as he designed it, to experience life as he's desired, to walk out of that prison that Jesus unlocked for us and to experience freedom and fulfillment. Faith is the key. And how do we experience faith? Look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's by God's grace that you've been saved, forgiven, made new through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. God gives us the gift of faith and the gift of new life. It comes from him. It's not by works. It's not through religion so that no one can boast. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And that's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. There are some things in this life we have to accept just by faith if we're going to walk out of the prison and experience freedom and fulfillment. And Jesus is one of them. And I just really want to encourage you before we move into worship, if you're here and you've not experienced the freedom he came to give you, it's because you've not yet experienced the grace that comes with trusting him. And you say, but I have doubts. Hey, join the club. We all have doubts. The question is, are you going to let your doubts ruin your life and your capacity to trust, or are you going to, even as you're sinking in this life with doubt, Say, Lord, save me, and experience life in the right way. Your choice. And so just before we move into worship, I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer just, just for a moment. And I really encourage you to stay. The worship time this weekend is awesome. But if you'd bow in prayer just for a moment, if you're ready to put your faith in him, I want to encourage you just to pray with me. Make my words yours. Just say, Jesus, I believe that you exist and that you reward those who really do seek you. I believe, Jesus, that you can give me forgiveness and the gift of new life. You died on the cross for my sin. I've sinned against you. I've messed up. I've lived without you. But you died on the cross to forgive me, and I trust you to do that. And you rose to give me new life, and I'm trusting you. I'm putting my faith in you. With all of my doubts, I'm putting my faith in your resurrection from the dead to give me new life. I'm asking you to change me, and I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed with me before we move into worship, I just really want to encourage you, let us know, would you? We hand you, when you come into one of our live services like this, a program, and the program says breaking out on the front. Inside is a connection card. You just rip it out and fill it out, and on the bottom, there's this little circle that says you prayed today to trust Jesus. Check that off. And then as you leave, there are boxes at every single exit. They're clearly marked boxes. Just throw it in there, and we've put together information to help you take some next steps in your relationship with God. Let us know you made the decision. And if you're watching Northridge On Demand, just hit the What Next button, and we'll do the same thing for you. But we're ending the series now, and what I want to remind you of is that Jesus said that he came to set us free. It is for freedom that he has set us free. That's why he came, to give us freedom. 
And yet many of us are still living in our prison cell built by adversity or anger or loneliness, lust, betrayal, apathy, or doubt. With an unlocked door, we're sitting in the prison cell, not experiencing freedom or fullness. So if we're ever going to experience what Jesus came to give us, we have to make a choice to get up and to walk out, to claim his truth. In this series, we've learned we can live in freedom, but we must choose it. And so to end the series, this is the truth I want you to remember. Jesus said, when you know the truth, you'll be free indeed. And I just want to encourage you, claim the freedom he came to give you by trusting him even in the midst 